all this time, you know, people have been trying to escape that and the law couldn't save. It was weak in that regard. And uh, so why would you go back to the weak and beggarly elements and, and go back to being uh, in fear of death? Um, and he's uh, going to move forward and he's going to, in verse number 10, he's going to say, uh, he's going to give a light in some of the, the teachings that have been uh, been circulating amongst them. And that's in verse 10, he says, he observed days and months and times and years. Now that's um, that's still done today. I mean, if you think about uh, folks like the Seventh-day Adventists, you know, they they believe you got to keep the Sabbath or, you know, you're going to go to hell. And, <coughs> and of course, there's uh, it says that uh, they observe days, months, times, and years. And so people can become somewhat superstitious. People can become uh, religious when it comes to certain days. Uh, they, they think that certain days have a certain meaning behind them. Um, and, uh, and, and really, it's, it's important that you understand that uh, what he's saying this is, is obviously that they had a, they had a knowledge of the new moons uh, and, and, and the different feasts of the Old Testament and that kind of thing. And he's saying, now, now you guys are trying to keep these holy days. You know, you're trying to keep the Sabbath. And why are you trying to keep the Sabbath? That's part of the law. You know, you're putting yourself back into bondage. You know, and, and so you've got, you know, we just celebrated, well, we didn't celebrate, but, you know, came in yesterday and Ash Wednesday and Good Friday and you know, Bad Monday or whatever it is you celebrate, you know. Uh, you know, people, they, they, they give these days a certain meaning, you know, or Lent, right, or Ramadan. You see what I'm saying? Um, some people, you know, there's certain times of the year. I remember when we lived in Anderson, uh, it's actually the, uh, the witchcraft capital of the world uh, in Chesterfield, Indiana. And basically, basically they have a big uh, witch camp. Like we go, to, we go to church camp, they have a witch camp up there. And, you know, around October time frame, the, you know, the Halloween and all that different stuff. You know, they tell they tell you they tell you keep your pets inside, because they've been known to snatch pets up and do sacrifices and all this different stuff and just wild, just just wicked as all you know get out. But you know, there's certain times and the new moons or remember a while ago it was the blood moons. You know, oh the blood moons and and uh, people they get all wrapped up in that stuff is it has some kind of uh, spiritual meaning or doctrinal meaning or and they they read into those things. And, and Paul is rebuking these guys, saying, why in the world are you, are you getting all, you know, mixed up with days and months and times and years? Now, uh, take your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter number 2 real quick. A couple things on, on these days and times and years and that kind of thing. Colossians chapter 2, look in verse... Um, Number 16. Of course, it's no coincidence that in verse 14, he talks about the blotting out of handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So there's your uh, uh, abolition of the, uh, of the law in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. You see that? He says, don't let any man judge you on those things. Why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? If you're a good Seventh-day Adventist, you believe the Sabbath is Saturday, and so you have church on Saturday, and uh, they, they've, they've marketed it very well, you see, because uh, they, they call it Sabbath school. They don't call it Sunday school. They say, show up for Sabbath school. You bunch of bums! <laughs> Get your own terms, you know. And uh, but they they call it Sabbath school. Um, but uh, you know, if you're a good Seventh Day Adventist, you believe that if you don't observe the Sabbath, you're going to hell. You, they they believe that if you don't observe the Sabbath, that's part of the mark of the beast. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the Bible tells you here distinctly: don't let any man judge you in respect of a holy day like that, right? And he says in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. 
Now he gives you a sneak peek in there and he says, he says that these things, these, uh, this meat or drink or respect of an holy day or a new moon or the Sabbath days, these are all things that religious uh, entities like to latch on to, right? So we're, we're, only gonna, we're, we're not going to eat anything but fish, you know? I remember when we were at Chick-fil-A uh, years ago, uh, you know, every time, was it Lent comes around or whatever, they don't, is, that, is that when they don't, eat, they don't eat regular meat, they just eat fish? fish and Fridays. Yeah, yeah, fishy Fridays or something like that. Well, uh, <coughs> so the, the, uh, uh, the Chick-fil-A, we had to roll out a fish sandwich on Fridays for the, for the Catholics running through getting fish sandwiches, you know. And so they, they like to latch on to those because those are, those, are, those are legalistic things that they can attach some spiritual uh, meaning to. And what that does is it puts you back in bondage, okay? And so he says, don't let anybody judge you in that. Meat or, meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And then he tells you, he says, which are a shadow of things to come. Which you find out is in the Old Testament, the, uh, the observation of certain feasts or the observation of the Sabbath and the observation of the new moons and all those kinds of things, what the Bible calls them is a shadow of things to come. And that's, and that's uh, uh, fairly normal. If you take your Bibles, go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter number 8 to start with. I'm going to show you this thing about a shadow of things to come. Hebrews chapter 8, let's start in uh, verse 5. Who serve, unto, who serve unto the example a shadow of heavenly things, as Moses admoni was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So he's saying, here's Moses, he gets the commandment to uh, uh, erect the tabernacle, and he says, make sure that you build this thing just like the pattern that was given to you in the mount. Why? Why is it such a big deal? Why don't I just build a tent and build it the way I want to build it and everything else? He says, there's a pattern that was given to you by God and you better build it exactly the way God told you to build it. And he say, why is it? Because he says, it's an example and a shadow of heavenly things. Okay, now you take that tabernacle and you take the brazen altar. You ever seen the types over in the tabernacle of how that thing matches your salvation? The first thing you walk, how, even how you move through it, um, the direction that it's set up in and how you move it and how you get in, how you get out. And uh, you have the, the first thing you see is this big old brazen altar. You see fire. And there's a sacrifice on that altar. And you've got to put a blood sacrifice on that altar if you want to get past the fire. And you get into that thing and, and you go past the, the brazen altar and you get into the, you get into the tabernacle and you've got, the, you've got, the, um, uh, you've got the, the brazen laver in there. And that thing is a reflection of you and it's a big and, it has a, and it's, and it's a, a massive basin. And, and basically as you're walking throughout the tabernacle... You can see the reflection of that because the, the, the water is in a big basin and then it basically has little faucets on the outside of it that fills up the bottom laver. And as you look into that thing, you can see your reflection and you can, you can wash your feet and you can wash your hands as you're ministering in the tabernacle because there's no, there's no floor in the tabernacle. You're just walking on dirt. You get into the holy uh, place there and you've got the altar of incense, you've got the table to show bread, and, uh, and you've got, um, what in the world? Incense, showbread, and the candlestick. And you've, so you've got the Word of God, you've got prayer, and you've got the Holy Spirit sitting right there. And you've got the Holy of Holies. What is that? It's a type. It's showing you exactly, it's showing you New Testament salvation. He says, Moses, don't mess up my type. Moses got himself in trouble. How did he get himself in trouble? Well, the first time uh, he, the Lord told him to smite the rock, he, sm he smote the rock and water came out, right? The next time he comes and he says, these people are bickering back and forth and they need this and they need that. He says, okay, talk to the rock. And what does he do? He comes over to the rock and he smites the rock. And the Lord says, you're not going to the promised land. Why? Because you messed up a, 
a type. You messed up a shadow of things to come. The first time you talk, the, the first time Jesus comes, they smite him. The second time they, he comes, they ain't smiting him again. You see that? He says, you don't mess up my type. I'm doing things and there's things that are happening and you best believe that those things are happening for a reason. So he gives you this. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 9. Look in, uh, let's see, verse 9. Let's start in verse 8. The Holy Ghost, uh, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. The first tabernacle. Ready? Look in verse 9. Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Look in verse 10. Which stood only in meats and in drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Wow. You say, what is that thing? He says, listen, that tabernacle is a type of something that's coming. What does he call it? He calls it a shadow. He calls it a shadow. Or it was a figure. It was something that, it was a type. And the Lord does that. The Lord uses those things. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look in verse number 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. The law was a shadow of something that was yet to come. Okay? And not the very image of the things can never with those uh, sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make uh, the comers thereunto perfect. Right? For then they would not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. So he's saying, okay, the law is telling you all these different sacrifices that you have to make for sin. And you've got to bring this uh, offering to the priest. And you've got to observe this. You've got to do this and do this. He says that was not perfect. It was a shadow of something to come. He says, because guess what? Just like in the Old Testament, and so certain, you, you, look at some of those, uh, you look at some of those sacrifices they made in the Old Testament. Go look up the red heifer. Go look up the scapegoat. And how they had to take the hand and they put their hand on the head of the scapegoat and they had to pronounce all the sins over the, the, the scapegoat and they let the scapegoat loose into the wilderness. And the scapegoat uh, took their sins for them and, and they were able to go free. Oh man, you talk, about, you talk about the typology over there. When you read through the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and some of these places where they're, to they're showing you, uh, you know, these ordinances and that kind of thing... Um, what is it doing? It's showing you Jesus. It's showing you Jesus Christ. And so he says, uh, he says, don't let any man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day. Why? He says, because those things back then were showing you what was coming. It was a shadow. It was a like figure. Okay? And now you have the real thing. So why go back to the like figure? It was just showing you what you have now. Now Jesus Christ is here. Now you don't have to make a sacrifice for your sins and still have a conscience of your sins year after year. What did he, he say in, in Hebrews? He says they, that they don't uh, any longer have a conscience of sins. Why would, you, why would you mess with that? Why would you even worry about it? Okay, so he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, there's, uh, there's something here I want you to see. Go to Romans chapter 14 on this topic of eating and drinking and, and that kind of thing. In one place, the Bible tells you, don't let anybody judge you in that kind of stuff. But let me show you the, the counterbalance to that. Romans chapter number 10. Or did I say 10 or 14? 14. Yeah, 14. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse, start in verse 1. Him that is weak in faith receive, but not to doubtful disputations. Not to just stupid arguments. Right? Because there's, there's folks uh, that they're weak in the faith. And what a lot of people do when somebody's weak in the faith, they like to bring up their hobby horses and their pet 
peeves and their, and their convictions and all this different stuff. He says, receive those that are weak in the faith, but not to doubtful disputations. Quit, quit trying to project your, your standards on everybody and getting into these stupid arguments with people that are weak in the faith and they never come back because they think you're stinking crazy. Right? Give them a second to marinate a little bit. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? He says, To his own master he standeth and falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we uh, live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Okay, so what is he showing you here? He's saying, listen, some folks are weak in the faith, and some folks are stronger in the faith. And everybody has a, a certain thought process of how they do things. Some people say, hey, you know, go ahead and eat as much meat as you want. Some people say, I think that that's cruel or that's, or that's not good. And, and, you know, after all, we're going to be careful because, you know, there's, you know, certain things in that. And, you know, uh, maybe they have a conviction about, you know, something like that, dietary restriction or whatever. And he says, you be careful about that. Don't get all wrapped up in that stuff. He say, there's some people that they, what they do is they, um, you know, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Some people, I'm one of them guys, I enjoy Christmas, man, I do. I like decorating the tree and having the, you know, the, the, the fun time with my family and all that kind of stuff. I'm just that way. Some people, they, they don't want to do it at all. They have no mind for it whatsoever. That's okay too, right? I'm not, I'm not worshiping Baal on Christmas, right? I, I, I observe the day as under the Lord before we do any kind of gift exchange or anything like that. We read the Bible. We read the, we read the, we read the, the, the account in Luke. And the kids, they, 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 they'll tell you the most important thing ain't presence for us, man. It's, 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 it's knowing what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on this day. And we try to make sure that we observe that thing uh, and, 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 and have our time as a family, but make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And so the, the, the caveat is you esteem every day unto the Lord. Whether you esteem the day higher or lower, it doesn't matter. Alike, everybody esteems it to the Lord. He says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Can you be around somebody that doesn't, uh, that doesn't have the same convictions you do? You know how many people break fellowship over stupid convictions that don't amount to a hill of beans? Well, I can't believe you'd have a Christmas tree in your house and, and you're full of the devil. Okay. Right? Well, you esteem the day the way you want to esteem it and I'll esteem the day that I want to esteem it. Right? The Bible gives us that liberty. Now, now he says, be fully persuaded in your own mind. The problem is, is if it's doubtful, you see? Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So you've got to be careful. You see, some people, they, 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 they're, they're not fully persuaded. And, you know, they, they may have a conviction or they may, oh, I'm not sure if this is right or not. And if it's doubtful, it's dirty. So be careful on what you do. Right? It says, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. He's saying here, you need to be careful. You need to take into account that there's people that have different convictions and there's people that have different standards and there's people that have different thought processes and, and that kind of thing. And guess what? It's okay. You say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that, you know, I can't believe that uh, so-and-so would, would, would do such a thing. Okay, well, maybe you're the strong one, right? Well, they're, they're pretty weak in their faith. Okay, and then what the Bible says? You be careful about those. Okay, we'll get a little deeper. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 
Uh, go to 1 Corinthians. Let's see. Let's see if I have the right reference over here, too. First Corinthians. Yeah, so it's first Corinthians, not second Corinthians. First Corinthians. Um he gives he gives the same uh type of admonition in chapter seven when it comes to marriage. Look at what he says. Uh, in chapter 7 when it comes to marriage. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong, uh, that cares to the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, that he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin, and the unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is calmly, and that, uh, and, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he, be, he behaveth himself un, uncommonly toward her, and need, to, uh, need so require, uh, let him do that, do what he will. He sinneth not, let, him, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, and he that hath power over his own will, and hath uh, decreed in his own heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth it well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. You see that? He's saying, okay, listen, just so you know, if you're going to serve God and you don't have a wife, or you don't have a husband, guess what? You can care about the things of the Lord exclusively, without distractions. But the minute you get yoked up with a husband, or the minute you get yoked up with a wife, guess what? You have to now care for things of the world that you may please your spouse. You have to care for your spouse. You know what? I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Life was a lot easier before I was married. There you go. You say, was life better for me? No, I think my life as a whole is way better now that I'm married and I have children. I love it, right? But I know this. I went through Bible college single, and I went, and I went through a few years in the ministry single and looking for a wife and everything. And you know what? Man I, could, man, I could do whatever I wanted to, you know? If I wanted to go to a meeting, I could just up and go. If I wanted to go street preach, I didn't have to worry about who was home. I didn't have to worry about the kids. If I wanted to, if I wanted to go, uh, you know, to do anything, I mean, go to church, stay late at church, what? I had nothing going on, right? If I wanted to go on a missions trip, if I, wanted to, if I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do for God, guess what? There was nothing hindering me, and guess what? I didn't have to worry too much about the world. I just had to pay enough to make, you know, my rent payment and everything else. I didn't have to have everything. I lived in a small one-bedroom apartment. Rent was cheap. And, uh, you know, I could work at, you know, uh, some fast food joint and get enough to make it and go by. <laughs> so he's saying, listen, if you want to really serve God, guess what? There, if you're single, there's no limitations. But the minute, and he, said, and he says, but listen, you're not sinning if you choose to get married. But just know that you're going to have to care about some worldly things in order to please your family and to please your wife and and that you have to take care of business. And that's why he says in verse 31, And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Now he gives you, now what is that? That's this, that's this ability to make a decision. That's this liberty that you have to, uh, to do things. Okay, well I can eat. I'm not underneath dietary restrictions because I'm saved. I'm not underneath some kind of obligation to make sure that I take a pilgrimage to Mecca before my life's end. I'm not under the, I'm not under the bondage of making sure that I do, uh, you know, I observe the Sabbath the way that the Old Testament tells me I have to observe it. Now I'll say this, it was a like figure, and I'll also say this, uh, I wouldn't make a habit of doing a whole lot on Sundays. <laughs> I, I think you'd be good practically... Not that you, not it has anything to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with, uh, with uh, anything. And you may call it old-fashioned. And I guess maybe I've just been taught this because I've been around preachers that are old-fashioned. 
But I believe that on Sundays they're pretty sacred days. And you do best to just lay low on Sundays the best you can. You know, I never liked working on Sundays. I know sometimes people have to do it. I know for the longest time when I was in the sheriff's department, I had to work on Sundays. Um, I was able to go to Sunday morning service, but I had to be at work at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And I was able to, to make Wednesday services. So I made Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and then I got Sunday Mondays off, and I had all day Sunday, but I missed Wednesday nights. And uh, I mean, I hate, I know, I'll, I'll tell you this, for me personally, it affected my spiritual life. It did. There's some guys, I know they do it, and, and, they, and, they, and they get by with it, and they have to, you know, they have to compensate for that. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying that uh, there's not something to, you know, a church, when Sunday comes around and it's a church day, you know, it's probably a good idea to just lay low and, and marinate on what God's saying and the preaching and so on and so forth. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's a bad thing, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do, there's, there's no ordinance saying that you have to keep a holy day. I would say practically you'd be better served if you did make sure that Sundays uh, you were at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Okay, I'll just say that. But <laughs> he goes on here in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Uh, verse number one. Now, as things, uh, things, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all, uh, we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man, <coughs> if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning therefore eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is nothing that there is no other God but one. We know that, right? There's nothing, there's no spooky thing that takes place on this little crouton of Christ that they give out on a mass on Sunday morning. There's no special thing about that, right? Okay, uh, if, if, if somebody comes over and, you know, does a la-di-da-di-fo-fon-fee-fom or whatever and, and says this is, you know, offered to, you know, some god over there and they, they cut the, the pig's head off and they... And they all eat it and everything else, and they fry it up and they eat it, you know. Uh, we know that there's no special voodoo going on there, right? There's, 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 there's just one God. I'm not worried about that. What's that to me? Nothing, that nothing to do with me, right? doesn't bother me a bit. If I eat that, do I eat damnation to myself? No, I do not, right? Um. There's, there's, there, you go somewhere and they, they say, we're going to offer this to the sun god. You're like, oh, I really like that. That's yummy. Thank you very much. And you put it in your mouth. Yeah, you know, your head's not going to explode and, you know, so, the Lord's not going to strike you down with lightning. Right? <clears throat> now listen. He says that there's none, uh, none other god but one. Verse 5. For though uh, there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, we in Him and the Lord Jesus uh, Christ, by whom are all things, and we, uh, we by Him. How be it? There is not every man that uh, man. There is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as if it's offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us uh, not to God. That meat. That meat. That meat that they're offering, that they're offended by, or that, that their, their conscience is weak towards, that doesn't bring us any closer to God. Right? He says, It commended us not uh, to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Pretty simple. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And if any man see thee which, ha uh, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And, though, uh, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin, so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, and sin against Christ, wherefore if meat make thy brother to offend, I will, eat, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend." So you see how that thing is? He's saying, okay, you want higher ground? Okay, you want higher ground? Then you may have the liberty to do something. You may have the peace of God to do something. 
But the higher ground is when you look at somebody else and you say, I wonder how that's going to affect them. And then you restrain yourself for the benefit of somebody else. Now that right there is not easy to do. It's not easy to do. And that thing has to be, that thing has to be balanced. Okay? Um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look in verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the, sham uh, in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to eat a feast and be... Uh, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake, that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? You say, what is, what is he talking about? He says, what is, he says here, he says, let no man uh, seek his own, but every man, other man's wealth. And look what he says, uh, verse 27. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast. You ever, been, uh, you ever been, say, you know, at work or something, and, you know, folks come around and say, hey, we want you to come out to this banquet dinner, and, you know, maybe you received an award, or maybe, you know, they're doing some kind of Christmas thing or something like that. And the Bible tells you, he says, okay, well, should I go or should I not? Well, that's up to you. What's he say? He says, if you be disposed to go. He puts it on you. Okay, so if you get invited to this thing and, uh, and you be disposed to go, he says, there is nothing there that, uh, that's going to, that, that, for conscience sake, there's nothing there that, that's going to affect your salvation or whatever. But he says, if somebody comes up and says, this is offered to idols, he says, you better not eat it. Because why? Not for your conscience, but for their conscience. So suppose you're sitting there, you know, and, uh, you know, everybody's sitting around there and you're sitting at the table and everyone, you know, somebody, you know, orders a beer and then, you know, you order a root beer. Well, you're not drinking root, you're not drinking beer, but there's some other weak Christian sitting there in the room and they look at you and they say, oh, look at him, man. He looks like he's drinking just the same thing everybody else is drinking. You better be careful. It's all right that you're disposed to go, but you can't, even though you're disposed to go, you'd better be real careful about where, uh, you know, what other people can see and, and, and how your testimony is going to be perceived. I've told the story before about the job I had and they wanted me to go to this, uh, you know, uh, this Christmas party and it was at this pub and everything and the truth of the, the truth of the matter is is when I walked in there they said listen this there's I'd never been to this this venue before and they had it in subsequent years after that which I absolutely did not go but the very first time they offered it to me uh, they said it's over at some some place I forget the name of it and uh, and I said is it a bar and they said well there's a bar there but it's not there's a restaurant there and the restaurant is separate from the bar and so I remember I walked in and I'm like, this is a bar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know what they did? They tried to trick me into staying. So you know what I did? I walked in there and I saw it and I said, I got to go. This is ridiculous. And they're like, you can't go. Look at all these people. I said, I'm out of here later. And I walked out the front door, you know, and it's like, what? I'm not going to let my testimony be destroyed in there. They lied to me. And I looked at the boss. I said, you lied to me. I said, this is exactly what this is, is a bar. I'm not staying in here. You're nuts. And I never went back. In three and a half years I was there, I never went back. Um, we go to these, you know, uh, these shows, or not shows, but they're, um, you know, seminars, I guess. You know, when I go, I go out of town for a few days for work or whatever, and we'll go to these conventions or whatever. And they want you to network, 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 network. And I'm not a networker. I never have been, and I'm not good at it. And I don't anticipate on trying to get better at it either. But, um, you know, they say network. Where are you supposed to network? 
in the bar, <laughs> right? We'll go to the bar. We're going to have a network session. You won't get the most out of the convention if you don't learn to network with other people. You know what I do? I go to my room, <laughs> right? I go to my room. I don't, I'm not networking with you bunch of stinking drunks. We get down there one time. There's an owner of a business out in, uh, up in Delaware somewhere, and he's got a pretty decent-sized business. They do about seven, $8 million a year. And, uh, and he, um, he was talking. He, he actually had to speak the next morning at the convention, and he got plastered drunk the night before. And uh, he gets up there, and he's like, Man, I promised about 10 guys I'd charter a boat last night. I don't remember a thing, man. That cost me a whole... He had to charter like two or three boats. He paid for it. He's blackout drunk. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, so he, there's this thing where, yeah, you can do whatever you want, and no, man's going, no man can judge your salvation based on meat, drink, or respect of a holy day. You see the balance of that? Well, you can't judge me for that. You're right. They can't. And you also can't live your entire life based on the conscience of other people. You have it has to be there has to be some there has to be some reason there. You can't let's let somebody dictate what they think you should do in your life all the time. But there's going to be instances when you're going to be around weaker Christians and you're trying to be an example to them and there's certain things the Lord's going to say, "Hey, you know, I know you got liberty to do that. I know you've got peace about it. I know you've got no conscience about it at all." It's not wrong for you, but uh, maybe you shouldn't just maybe you should just refrain, right? Maybe you should just refrain. I have to uh, I have to think about that quite often. Um, I've found that out. I've learned it. I should say I've learned it the hard way when dealing with teenagers. Okay, uh, I deal with young people. Young people look for a justification for everything they want to do. Right. And so I have, I, have, I, have stepped, I have stepped over the line sometimes in how I speak, you know. There's been times, you know, uh, how I've dressed in certain, in certain atmospheres and stuff like that um, where, you know what, probably not a good idea, probably not a good idea to, to do that around them. Why? Because I don't want to be, I don't want them to think, oh, well, he's a preacher, he's a guy, he's doing that. Now, is there anything wrong with it? No. I remember one year we went down to uh, Jacksonville and we were singing in the singing in the in the group there, and we were doing sound check, and uh, I was going to wear a pair of shorts to the sound check. Nobody was at the church. It was it was just sound check. I don't have a, I have no conviction about wearing shorts. Okay, I wear shorts. I enjoy wearing shorts. Just the way it is. I just I'm not wearing shorty shorts, but I'm, I like to wear shorts, right? Um, and you know what? It was one of those things where you're here to be a testimony. And what if somebody walks into that church and they see you in a pair of shorts? I have all the liberty in the world to do that. But you know what? It wasn't right to do. So you know what I did? I put a pair of slacks on, put a button down on. Why? Because I'm there to minister. Right? You see some of these preachers, they get up behind a pulpit and they got a polo on. Do they have the liberty to do that? Yeah, they do. Well, how come we don't do it here? Because it's a bad testimony. Could we? Yeah. But we don't want to offend anybody. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to hurt. We want people to know this thing's serious. So sometimes you limit your liberty. Sometimes, you know what, there's certain things that uh, I, I will and, and won't do around the teenagers, not to say that I'm doing something wicked or anything like that, but I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to give them the, the, the thing to say, oh, well, Brother Joe does it. You know what I'm saying? You just got to be careful about that kind of thing. You know, there's just certain things you just got to be mindful of. So he observed days and months and times and years, okay, over here and uh, back in our text, Galatians Chapter number 4, look in verse 11. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. For ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you. 
at the first. So Paul, he's been making a doctrinal argument, uh, very technical doctrinal argument up to this point. And what he's about to do is he's about, he's about to make a, a very personalized argument. He's about to try to plug on the heartstrings of these people and he's going to make uh, and he's going to make an emotional uh, plea to these folks. And he says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now, he's not afraid of them in the sense of, ooh, right? But he's afraid in the sense that, listen, I came here and I watched you guys uh, and I've watched, and I watched how you received the Lord Jesus Christ and how it changed your life. And I'm afraid that all the labor I bestowed upon you is in vain. He says, you guys are making me scared here. I'm seeing what's going on, and I'm thinking, why is this going on? You know, and that's the heart of a minister. That's the, you, you're going to see Paul's heart here. And Paul, he does that in his writings quite often. He, he, what's he do? He's, he's very knowledgeable. He's got the letter of the law down. But then every now and again, what he'll do is he'll just open up and he'll show you his heart. And that's what he's doing to these folks. He's, he, he's just given them a laundry list of doctrinal things uh, from the Abraham uh, uh, illustration and, and all the way down through um, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, partway through here, chapter 4. And now he's about to open up and he's about to say, I'm looking around at you people and you're making me nervous. Because I did all this preaching and you guys responded and all this time and now somebody's coming and they're, and they're, and they're speaking these things and they've got you and now you're observing holy days and you're, you know... Uh, following the law and trying to be circumcised and y'all are freaking me out you know ministers do that you know you, you preach and you try to teach and I can only imagine pastor and stuff and preaching and preaching and preaching and all of a sudden you see somebody slipping and you're like man I got young people in the church right now they're hanging on by a thread man They've been through youth group. They've been through every preaching service. They've been through every youth camp. They've been to church since before they was born. And you know what? You're looking at them and you say, is there something like horribly wrong with them? They're scaring me. You know? They're scaring me. They're scaring their parents. Why? All this labor, all this time is invested in you and you're just going to throw it down the tubes? You see, that's what Paul's saying. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. He says, look at me. <laughs> I'm not doing this stuff. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going back into the beggarly elements. I'm not, I'm not observing days and times and years and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. You don't see me doing any of that. He says, be as I am, because I'm as you are. We were in the same boat. I was a lost sinner, and the Lord saved me, and now I'm free, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm redeemed and justified, and so on and so forth. And he's like, I'm not going back doing that stuff. He says, why in the world? He says, be as I am. Okay? He says, uh, he says uh, ye have not injured me at all. You see that? He says, hey, listen, you're not hurting me. Right? You're only hurting yourself by doing this. You know, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here uh, in this, with this thought, but, you know, uh, people are fickle like that. Paul here, he's addressing these folks. He says, I don't know why you're doing this, but if you think that you're hurting me, you're not hurting me. My salvation is secure. Right? Yeah, I, I, I don't want you to go down this road. I don't want you to choose this path of, you know, going back into the weak and beggarly elements and, and observing these things and going back into the bondage of, of the law and that kind of stuff. He says, I don't want you to go that way. But listen, you're not hurting me. You're only hurting yourself. Have you ever met somebody that they get out of line and they get their nose out of joint and they start doing dumb stuff just to try to get at other people? Kids do that to their parents, right? They get all bent out of shape or they get something, they're all you know, messed up about something, and what do they do? They start acting a fool to try to get back at mom and dad. Right? People do that with their bosses. Then I had a guy, I had a, I had a couple guys when I worked at the old place. I worked there for three and a half years at Buckeye, and um, Buckeye Lawn and Landscaping, and I had a guy there named Art. And he was a younger guy. And, I mean, you talk about 
Oh, just a punk, you know. He was a stinking punk, man. And he'd walk into my office and say, the whole reason I'm here is to keep you in line. Wow. I'm like, you just spray your flowers and leave me alone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over the whole division and doing the sales and making sure he's got a job, but he's there to keep me in line, right? And what they found out is that, um, is that uh, my pay was connected to the sales. But it's not just a lot of times in sales, just in case you didn't know. Uh, and I, I'm not just a salesman. I'm an I'm, I'm accounts manager, so I oversee the jobs and stuff like that. But I have to, I'm also responsible for making sure there's enough work to keep guys busy. And so at that time, at this particular company, my, my, my pay was based on the net profit of the jobs in which I sold. So basically, if I sell a job and we make money on that job as a company, then I get paid on that job a certain percentage, right? A very low percentage. <laughs> and what this guy found out was if I slack off on the jobs and we don't make money, we go over hours and we lose money on the job, I can make it so Joe doesn't get paid. Wow. And so what this guy did was he started acting a fool and he started cutting up on jobs and doing all this different stuff. Why? To try to get back at me because he didn't like me. So he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure, you know, Joe goes broke <laughs> by, by messing up the jobs, you know. You know what? Listen, man, you're only going to hurt me a little while before I, I put you on a job that, <laughs> you know, I can put you somewhere else. And that's exactly what happened. What, what he, he started doing that. And then you sit down and everything is measurable, you know, and it's like, hey, well, you're going over on every single one of these jobs. Obviously, you're not doing your job. So, Go over here and mow grass. That's what you want to do, right? And you put him somewhere else he doesn't want to be. And so it's like, listen, man, you think you're hurting me, but you're actually just hurting yourself, right? And uh, Paul's saying here, he's like, listen, guys, you going back and doing this stuff, it's not, it's, yeah, I mean, he's like, my heart hurts. But he says, it's not affecting me. It's affecting you. It's going to hurt you, right? He says, uh, for you know um, how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at the first and so what he's doing is again he's 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 gonna he's gonna now correlate his state that he was in when he was preaching to these people and he says and my temptation was in my flesh ye despised not nor rejected but received me as an angel of God even as even as Christ Jesus and we'll get into that next week but what he's doing here is he's saying hey listen I came to you, and Paul says, he says, though I be rude in speech, but not in knowledge. And he says, and, and, he, says, and he says that he's, uh, um, what's he use? I'm trying to go off the top. He says, though I be, uh, um, basically he comes and he's feeble and he's frail, right? And I'll have to look it up next week. But um, he's nothing to look at. He's not some great, powerful looking man. He says, I came to you in the infirmity of his flesh. We'll get into that next week as well. Basically, this guy is coming in here visibly hurt, visibly struggling. And what he's doing is he's preaching the gospel to you. He says, do you remember what it was like when I came here? You remember the services we had? You remember how God blew through? You remember how you saw my state and I was sick and I was, and I was in bad health and I was all messed up and I was hunched over and I couldn't see and I was doing everything I could and I'd walk into the pulpit with a limp and I'd get behind the pulpit, you know, and I, and I start to preach you these things and all of a sudden light bulbs started coming on and, and people started getting happy, people started getting saved. He says, you remember that? What's he doing? He's, he's, he's trying to tie back. He's got them doctrinally on the ropes. And now for the KO punch, he's hitting him right in the heart. You see that? He's hitting him right in the heart. Notice he did the doctrinal first. He didn't try to appeal to their emotions first. Right? He gave them, he gave them the truth, and then he, then, he, and then, he, and then he started attaching to their emotions. You get false teachers, you know what they do? they attach to your emotions first. Because if they attach to your emotions first, you're already emotionally attached. And then whatever they say doctrinally after that, you won't pay as much attention to. 
So what they call they call it a bait and switch. So most of your churches now, they get you in there, and they pump you up, and they pump you up, and they this, and you're wonderful, and here's a cup of coffee, and look at how wonderful you are, and your dress is so beautiful, and you're great. And uh, they try to appeal to your uh, emotions, your emotions, your emotions, and they get up there and they preach on how to have a better family and how to have, have less stress and how to be a success and how to, you know, all this different stuff, all this topographical stuff, right? And the whole time you're just like, oh, they're wonderful, they're wonderful, they're wonderful, they're wonderful. It's like, well, where's the Bible? Oh, well, but he's so nice. You see that? It's a bait and switch. And you come to a place like this and you get in there and the pastor gets up there and he preaches and you say, oh my goodness, man. It's so negative. It's so this. It's so that. It's the truth. It's the truth. And guess what? The truth, when it's presented, it can be harsh. And he's going to say that in just a second. He says, am I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? No. No, he's not. So you got to be careful, you know, on how and how you try to attach people. There's a it's a it's a hard thing. It's even doing it in personal work. Um, I'm not saying that you know you need to blast somebody um, the first time you see them. You know you can you can develop a relationship with somebody. You can you can uh, you know build some rapport with somebody before you lay it on them. But uh, if if you never get to the place where you're telling them the absolute truth uh, because you're afraid of hurting their feelings, well you're in the wrong. Because the gospel and the truth in and of itself a lot of times is against your flesh. And we don't, we don't uh, sugarcoat the truth um, and replace it with emotionalism. That's where you get yourself in trouble. Now you can be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And you know, a little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah, that's true. But you never, you, you never, you never change the truth to fit somebody's emotions that's a dangerous road to go down and that's not and that's the example Paul gave us um, gave us here any questions sir